0: Hello, and welcome to the Sports Loft Podcast, where we are today taking an investor's view. It is my pleasure to bring Anthony Bontrager onto the podcast. Anthony is the Managing Director at West River Group, and uh, prior to that, founded Soda Media Inc., which is a strategic advisory firm managing uh, select venture investments, and has made a number of really awesome investments and holds board positions with um, Tectonic Audio Lab, PTO exchange uh, documentation tool, Chorus, and a bunch of others, uh, which which we'll get into. But um, Anthony, fantastic to have you on the Sports Law Podcast. Thanks, yeah, I appreciate being on today's podcast, and great to meet. You. Great, great to meet you too. Uh, so, listen, I gave I gave a very short and and uh, wildly in, uh, inefficient synopsis of uh, your storied career. Why don't you give us a little bit more about uh, kind of yourself? West River and what you guys do day to day.
1: Absolutely. I think you did a great job. Uh last name is Bon Traeger. Um
0: <laughs> a little bit of German in there I, that we did, didn't know. Yeah, I I I, I always <laughs> I always get that mixed up as well, French background, right? Bon and Bon Traeger. Uh apologies for that. No,
1: it happens all the time. I think it's it was hysterical. Um no, I, I thought that, I thought the intro was great. Um, just to add maybe some additional context, you know, for your audience. You know, over the past 25 years, um, you know, I've been a founder, investor, and senior exec, you know, at two publicly traded companies, you know, and other than, you know, that looking great on my LinkedIn profile, you know, what my background really does is really just give me a unique perspective from both sides of the table, Um, decades of pattern recognition that I really just simply try to leverage um, as I guide our portfolio companies, you know, at those most formative stages of their journey.
0: And so tell us about West River Group and kind of... um... How you guys look at investments, uh, and 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 what the thesis is? Uh, how, uh, how you guys approach investing? Oh absolutely. So you
1: know, West River Group, we're not a traditional venture fund, and in, in, in fact, we're not really a fund at all. What we are is a thematic investment company uh, that happens to operate and invest in multiple venture funds, special purpose vehicles, you know, et cetera. Uh, with each partner, you know, at the firm, you know, kind of bringing their unique speciality. Um, and re- is responsible for different themes uh, that we focus on. Uh, for example, I'm responsible for our technology practice. Uh, in that role, you know I run our early stage technology fund which invests in you know seed, Series A, you know, B2B technology companies located in the Pacific Northwest here in the US. Uh, I also sit on the, uh, the advisory committees for our investments in external venture funds, uh, such as Two Sigma Ventures, Energy Innovation Capital, and others. Uh, my partner uh, and our CEO, Eric Anderson, uh, by contrast, focuses, you know, among other things, on investments in life sciences and decarbonization. Uh, and our newest partner, Ian Sugarman, who is formerly vice chairman of Morgan Stanley, uh, he leads our consumer experience fund uh, and our investments there. So, you know, we like to focus on some key themes. I think you got a sense of what those themes are uh, uh, through that. Um, and again, we all bring a different bit of background and a way of looking at things that I think makes you know, our partnership really unique. Uh, In addition, you know, we couldn't do this with the amazing group of professionals, uh, you know, that we have here at West River who cover everything from, you know, fund administration, compliance, accounting, portfolio support, etc. You know, these people, uh, just super bright men and women, uh, really are the foundation
0: uh, and allow Ian and Eric and I to do what we do. Awesome. Thanks for that background. Now, we're obviously a, uh, a a podcast and a uh, uh, membership platform that focuses on technology in sports media and entertainment. Give us a little bit of a uh, of a flavor of what you guys think about when you think about the application of technologies in different industries and whether you are specifically thinking about anything within the sports and uh, media sectors.
1: yeah, uh, you know it's a it's a great point. I'm, and I'm glad you mentioned that. so, you know, as I touched on, you know, we are a thematic investment firm, you know, covering technology, consumer experiences, life sciences, and and decarb, or I think the word du jour today is uh, energy transition. Um, Each of those, you know, themes, we invest at different stages, you know, within a company's life cycle. Um, You know, as I mentioned, for technology, you know, we're very early stage, we like coming in at that very formative point, Um, you know, and then helping those companies grow. It's just, it's, what I've done, you know, as, as both a founder and investor, uh, over the course of my career. And it kind of what's gets, gets me up in the morning consumer, for example, and life sciences, those are typically later stage investments. Uh, and in decarbonization, we kind of played both sides of the coin, uh, through our investments in in uh, Riverstone and, um, energy innovation capital. But I think, you know, if, if your, if your question really was around, you know, where does sports cut across, you know, that, that thematic approach, Um, And I I would say that basically, you know, there's three sectors uh, where our themes intersect with sports in general. Um, You know, for technology, for example, you know, we have an investment in a local company here in Seattle called Tagboard uh, that delivers, you know, the industry's first cloud-based media production tool for broadcasters and and sports leagues. Uh, For those, you know, in your audience, you know, Fox Sports use Tagboards exclusively to broadcast the World Cup. Uh, the NFL has used them to produce the NFL Draft and the Super Bowl. So, you know, it's very, very, you know, heavily sports-focused, albeit, you know, something that really plays very well in the in the broader broadcast space. So that's technology. Uh, when, again, we're super, super excited about what the team at Tag are, are building there. You know, when you move to the consumer experiences side, right, that's another, you know, obvious, you know, logical place where sports will play a role. Uh, for people who don't know... Uh, as much about West River, we were the earliest and longest-term investor in Top Golf. Uh, our our CEO Eric Anderson uh, led that investment. Gosh, you know, I think now 15 years ago, and really is the one uh, who was credited for ideating what became Top Golf today. Um, we saw that exit, obviously, obviously to Callaway. He's vice chairman now over at Callaway Brands. But you know, sport has always played a central role. Um, you know, in our in our experience, let's say investment fee. Uh, we have a new company in there that we've been invested with. I won't call it new, but say for the last five years called Toca. Uh, Toka football is really what we view as the soccer, uh, the top golf of soccer, rather. Mm-hmm. Uh, super excited about that business. And again, it just really kind of, you know, speaks to your point that sports does play a role in a lot of things that we do. And then I would I would also offer life sciences, um, to be quite honest, you know. When you think about things such as mental health and wellness for athletes, right, that's something that's becoming more and more important for people. Um, and this isn't just sports as an entertainment. This is sports as a, as a true sport, right, and, and for, you know, youth sports specifically. Um, there's a company in Arizona, for example, that we're aware of and have been following for a while called Evolve One. Uh, they've developed a mobile app that helps young athletes with mental training. Um, and have announced a a partnership recently with US Youth Soccer um, that they're now being able to take this and get this in the hands of kids, you know, at the youngest stages, you know, because they're dealing with a lot of stuff right now. When when you and I were younger, it's like you typically played multiple sports. Mm -hmm. You know, kids these days, like my son, for example, when he was in school, um, God, I mean, you are nine to 10 months out of the year playing a single sport. And mentally, I think that becomes challenging for some of these kids. And so having these apps like Evolve One, um, I think, are going to be a game changer, um, and I think what they're doing is really exciting. And their CEO Tony Ellen's, I think, she's just really, really smart. Mm. And so it'd be, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, no, no. I guess I was just simply going to close that You know, while we're not a pure play sports investor
0: per se. Um, I do think we've got some, some solid background in the area. Very, very, very quickly, just to do a quick aside, shout out to Nathan, uh, Nathan, um, Peterson and the incredible team at Tagboard who are a sports member company. Those guys are going from strength to strength. And Nathan awesome is one people. of the strongest leaders and best people, humans in the, in the in- industry, whether you want to classify that industry as technology or sports or, or basically any industry, uh, uh, but, you know, fascinating to hear that that cross application. I think that's one of the really interesting things about the sports industry which is that whilst it does anchor in the live events and kind of what drives everybody's, um, uh, everybody's excitement and uh, a specific fan base's excitement, it does cut across so many different verticals and can be applied in so many different ways. So it's fascinating to hear from somebody who doesn't have a sports-specific thesis about how sports can be interesting. So from that perspective, and you know, we were talking a little bit of, a little bit earlier. You're a huge cycling fan. Um, you know, you, you you played multiple sports when when you were younger as well. How much does an investment in the sports space or sports adjacent to some of the some of the uh, um, more traditional or, or not more traditional, but sort of more involved sports funds like to say? How much does that get the blood flowing? Is it something that might be an extra tick in the box as you're looking at something to be like, oh, this could be this could be fun.
1: You know, it's one of those things that you have to balance as an investor because there's that personal interest, right, and that personal passion. But you've always got to come back to, you know, what is the th- core thesis, you know, for our you know, for our investment fund or vehicle, if you will. Yeah. You know, for us on the technology side, it really is very data-centric. You know, that's kind of our horizontal thesis, uh, the leveraging of machine learning and AI across really large data sets. Uh, Tagboard, if you think about it, is taking data to the next level and using it to basically drive sports media, uh, which is one of the reasons that we really, really liked the business of kind of what Nate and the team were doing with what I'll call Tagboard 2.0, right? Um, But you're absolutely right. I don't think there's there's anything that would suggest we would shy away from another investment that had a sports-related theme to it. I think that would clearly pique my interest personally. Um, But as long as it makes you know, meets our our core thesis, then yeah, we're we are all over it.
0: Mm. And speaking of um Nate and uh you mentioned the founder in Arizona who's who's really impressive as well. When you look at a uh when you look at a company and when you look at the application of technology and how what problem that's solving, um how much of a balance is it for you between um the application of the technology the product that's going to be developed and the the product market fit the Tam you know the the, the valuation and the potential uh, uh, the potential um, market that can be achieved and how much of that is the founders or the exec team depending on what stage the the company is at and knowing that actually these people may not have the right idea but they'll be able to pivot and figure it out and build something out of what they have. Tag Board 2.0 being a really good example. Yeah. Um,
1: You know, you're absolutely right. You know, I think when we look at a company, we meet a a founding team, for example, uh, there's two what I'll call kind of, you know, soft skills that I really look for. Uh, First is that passion, right? You know, if that's lacking, it's a red flag for me. Uh, You know, and I'm not expecting, you know, say Nate, for example, to, you know, do a Tom Cruise, you know, jumping on Ellen's couch kind of passion, (laughs) you know. (laughs) God God help you if he did. But, you know, someone who's deeply, deeply invested in the market, the product, the technology, and they can articulate clearly their vision for the company, and the future they're building. You've got to tell me a story and you've got to back that story up with empirical data and you have to know it cold. Um, that's the kind of passion I'm talking about. I would say second, uh, Yanni, is coachability. Um, you know, look, we're all blind to what we don't know or understand. Uh, but the real winners, you know, uh, are those that recognize that fact and leverage, you know, the experience and pattern recognition that their boards can offer, you know, and are willing to listen and actually hear the or suggestions um, as they start to, you know, make their own decisions for, you know, for for running, you know, you know the business. Well, um, and that's why, you know, for me, having a board um, and, quote, the right board uh, is so important for these companies, you know a good board is there to be a sounding board for the CEO and the leadership team work through problems um and always impressed that you know look you know, we're here to help you know really not assign blame um we get it shit happens things go wrong you know and a really good board works with the CEO through you know good times and bad um mm-hmm. and it's not it shouldn't be an us us versus them so i think that coachability
0: um is another is kind of the, the second order that we like to look at i um I'm, fascinated by that and 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 what you mentioned because you know you, you like you say you've been on both sides you've been a founder you've sort of you know raised capital yourself you've um uh, exited now you're on the investor side and you kind of look at these things um if you in your current guys were to go back to yourself as an entrepreneur and as a startup founder back then what would you be what would you be telling yourself and would you at that stage have been coachable to and amenable to those stories i'm just curious to, for you to to play out that little role play absolutely not <laughs> which is why which
1: <laughs> which is why coachability is so high on my list um just because i've been there um you know yeah, yeah. and look being a ceo is a lonely spot right um the the, the glory happens after you're done being ceo right When you can step back and say this is what i built this is what i accomplished but when you're in the captain's chair, um, it can be very lonely. And the last thing, you know, people—I mean, how do I say this? People tend to, I guess, you know, default um, to kind of digging it because they don't—they don't, they don't want to project any kind of weakness to their board, to their teams, mm. to their investors, etc. And that is where the problems start to arise. And, and again, you know, if you can train yourself to step back and say, okay. I understand kind of where I am. I'm digging in a little bit. I need to just open up and listen and take this advice. Um, It's hard. And like I said, the winners are able to do that. Um, I know for myself as my, you know, my first, you know, role as a CEO for my first startup. um, It wasn't always like that. Um, And, you know, I had people around me, fortunately, uh, that said, hey, look, you know, we're not here to throw you under the bus or to trip you up. We're really here to help you grow the business because without you... Um, this thing really doesn't exist, and at the end of the day, we invest it in you. Um, and I think when they said that and articulated it that way, that really got me to think. It's like, okay, um, we all kind of are on the same team a little bit, and uh, and it helped. It helped tremendously. Yeah, now, yeah. not every company, you know, has a has people around them like that. Um, you know, there are board members who you know do take the opposite approach and are really looking to trip people up. Uh, I think that's more of a a legacy part of the VC industry. I think by and large today investors take a much more uh consultative approach with their CEOs but yeah it was uh, it was a challenge and so I speak from you know, experience that coachability uh you know wins the day
0: mm-hmm. and so how do you structure it within the uh, technology fund at West River how do you structure it to make sure that you are contributing as much as possible to your portfolio companies to your CEOs, to the founders that you're working with having had that experience of having gone through it twice, but then also helped quite a few others mature through various stages of their own companies?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, we start with the fact, you know, and again, I'm speaking purely for our our technology uh, fund, but we lead, I would say, probably 90 to 95% of our investments. Um, And so as a result, we will will always take a board seat. Uh, We really like being hands-on investors Uh, specifically at the seed and series A stage, you know, even if we do our B or C route, which we we do sometimes to kind of buy down that J curve, if you will. But we think that it's never a wrong time to start building, you know, real muscle memory around proper governance, right? Um, As I said earlier, right, we're all blind to certain (laughs) things. And so the board's there to kind of, you know, shine some light and kind of help bring, take those blinders off for you because running a company, you know, look, you're the accountant you're the CRO you're the you know technology and product marketing person you're kind of wearing all of these all of these hats here
0: so you're the team maker you take out the garbage all of it
1: exactly right exactly right so you know for us it's you know really um bringing in expertise you know so so if i sit on the board obviously you know from a governance and a fin- you know a financing perspective i certainly help out we have within the four walls of west River group other expertise so We've done things where we've come in and, you know, for early stage companies that say the seed stage, we've rebuilt their entire financial model, right? And we've helped them kind of, you know, in, in when we do it in partnership with the companies. So we're all saying kind of off the same song sheet, but it's things like that to where we can kind of impress upon them. This is, these are the levers for your business. This is how you need to be able to turn them to be able to kind of navigate the potholes that are invariably going to come up for you on this journey. Uh, we've helped, you know, them with hiring and bringing on, you know, chief financial officers or chief revenue officers, early customer traction, you know, with customers like, like Disney, for example, or heck, even Callaway and Topgolf, et cetera. So it's it's having more than just dollars to bring to bear and more than my just simple pattern recognition, but it's 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 know-how, it's relationships, it's network, et cetera, uh, that we bring to these, you know, these companies and these early CEOs and management teams to
0: help them grow. How important is it when a founder comes to you for you that they understand the value that West River can can potentially bring? Is it? I mean, uh, I would imagine that it's obviously flattering for somebody to sit there and say, you know, we envisage that you would add value here, here, and here. We want to speak to Top Golf. We want to speak to that. Is that is that almost a prerequisite? Um, or if somebody comes in and says, look, I don't really know that much about West River, but they've got a killer idea. Is that still something that you would be like, "Great, we can add value. Let's go.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, because we're not a traditional venture fund, right. You know, you don't, you know, um, see us a lot, right. In terms of, you know, the typical stats with the Andreessen's and the Sequoia's and whatnot, even though, you know, today we manage, you know, about 1.5, 1.6 billion dollars. So we're still a very large firm from an AUM perspective. But yeah, there's a lot of early stage startups, you know, people coming out of Amazon who are like, okay, um, wow, we haven't heard of you guys. Uh, this is awesome. You know, tell us what you do. And when we walk them through the story and our history, they're like, oh my God, 22 years you guys have been investing. <laughs> You've had these unicorns. Um, this is fantastic. You're, you know, you're you're a great partner. Can you, know, how can we work together? So yeah, it, it, uh, you know, we, we work on both sides of the coin. We, we, you know, we don't have any ego around, you know, why are you here? You don't you didn't even do any research on us. Um, you know, that's fine. Cool.
0: Um so uh, something that that you said that I was very interested in, which is about, you know, leading 90 95% of the rounds. Um and 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 there's two questions on that that I want to get into. One is how much do you enjoy that process of diving into the valuation, diving into the terms, negotiating kind of the structure of the deal uh, because that's what the lead investor does, right? Sets the terms for everybody else to come on board. And then secondary to that, which we'll get to in a second, is what are the exceptions? How, like, is it that you're working with funds that you know really well and so they bring you on board as kind of um, secondary capital? Is it, you know, opportunistic based on the, the quality of the company? But let's start with that first bit first. Like, how is it, and how much is how much fun or how difficult is that process of setting the terms and doing the negotiations and and, and valuation driven uh, approach?
1: Yeah, um, I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to that kind of stuff. I I absolutely love digging in right into the financial model. Um, you know, I rebuild the company's cap table so I can personally know kind of you know how the just to make sure the math all ties out to the documents and mm. going through that stuff. I just, for me, it's just kind of fascinating. And, you know, candidly, after you've read a few of these documents, you you know exactly kind of where you need to go to. So I love that piece, to be to be completely honest. Um, you know, it's my job, right? I need to know as yeah. much about the company, its formation, its structure, et cetera, uh, before I, you know, even think about committing to write a check. So I, I, I really, really get into that. Um, we have on occasion been willing to basically go it alone on investments where we've been the only check writer where we found real wow. conviction behind a company, an idea, something that's really unique. No one's touched it. you know, maybe the CEO just isn't that great to you know pitching investors, but we saw something there in in them or the tech or the market that we said, someone's going to grab this. These guys are well ahead. Let's 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 take a roll. Um, we did that with a company called PTO Exchange. Um, out of our last fund, uh, these guys had created uh, a really unique way to allow companies to enable their employees to actually monetize their paid time off, uh, not take a loan against it, and have to repay anything that, but actually monetize it and not run afoul here in the US of kind of the long term tax implications of that benefit. Wow. Uh, they've got, you know, they've done all the research. I kind of became an expert, you know, kind of over the course of a few months on the cost of a constructive receipt you know, with the IRS, but no one was willing to take a flyer on these guys. Um, and when we did, uh, we invested and then we were their first capital in the only capital in, you know, from a priced round perspective, I took a seat on the board, you know, it was bumpy. This goes back to that coachability thing. Right. Uh, but these guys fought the good fight. Um, they finally sort of hit the stride and the market hit, you know, kind of caught up with them. God, they put like an, you know, 8x on their revenue two years ago they doubled it last year they're going to double it again this year they're taking off and when you think about yeah you know, the thing you, if you ask yourself you know PTO you know pay time off how does that really you know factor in it just seems kind of boring well in the US alone there's 64 billion dollars every year that either paid time off value that either goes unused wow. or forfeited right that's value that actually belongs to you know the working american right and so if if PTO can help those people access that capital, that actual benefit that they own and should use, I think that's a great thing. I think it's a great thing for the economy. I think it's the right thing to do socially. And so we took the leap and uh, they're doing fantastic. It's just a great team. So so that gives you kind of an idea of what we're, you know, how we typically invest, you know, and if we get conviction, we're, we're absolutely fine going alone. But to your other part of your question, you know, You know, we've got relationships with pretty much all the VC firms out there, but there's always groups that come along that we've never heard of before or worked with. Uh, Tagboard's a great example. Um, You know, uh, Greyhawk Capital and Next Frontier Ventures uh, led the Series A round uh, for Tagboard. And uh, hadn't worked with, you know, Sherman from Greyhawk or Will Price uh, from Next Frontier before, but uh, wow, you know, what two great human beings. They add tremendous value to Tagboard's, you know, board of directors and and helping the company grow uh so you know again we just we love meeting new people and finding you know really smart people to uh to partner with so uh that was a, another added benefit
0: of going into tag board awesome um so let's pivot a little bit and talk about um the market yeah. and kind of um opportunities that, that that might be coming up and let's start with this with the sports slant and then move more generally when when you think about and again conscious that sports sort of cuts across as so not a central thesis but when you think about the technology applications sport um, and the potential where does your mind go and what are you thinking about where where do you see the opportunities and uh, uh and what are you looking for you know I think I, I mentioned this earlier
1: but data is such a huge part of our investment thesis right and I think that's going to drive sport Really? so let me let me unpack that for a little bit so, Tagboard, as we talked about, leveraging data to basically you know you know, drive greater insights into the sport itself. You know, from and as you know, Yanni, you know Tagboard delivers all of the you know the sports texts you know that that sit on your television screen when you when you see you know Messi you know score a goal and they show like his his history or his shot patterns. Right, all of that information is is produced by Tagboard. Yep. that is all data driven. Right historically, it's basically been someone kind of you know, going to an Excel spreadsheet, typing into something else, then publishing it out. Tagboard, you know, with their live feed capabilities, able to now take data real-time and push it up there and keep that constantly refreshed. And so I think you know, data informs kind of what they do. When you take that a little bit further, right, you think about just even producing you know, content itself, right? Data is also going to be informing that. Um, when you look at things such as, you know, the mental health aspect with the company Evolve 1 I mentioned, right? Looking at the different pattern recognition, you know, how is, how is this kind of mental training and acuity driving better results on and off the field, right? And then how do you basically fine tune those pieces? So again, data for us is, is kind of the oil in this whole thing. But I think there are so many vector points in terms of how it touches sports, um, even from just, just the actual, you know, figure out, you know, what I want to produce or what I want to create from a content perspective. I mean, I know, you know, you, for example, you know, some of the work that you've done on, you know, in the cycling industry for say the tour of California, right. You think about all of the stats and, you know, the metrics that come out of cycling, whether it's Watts per kilogram or whether it's speed or cadence or, you know, um, you know, back in the, you know, nineties, you know, how many shots of EPO did this guy do before he, you know, climbed Von two, for example, right. All of that stuff is, you know, it's all data. I'm not sure we had had access
0: to that data. I'm not sure we had access to that data. But, you you know, you're right. When Dimensions data came in, it changed the game in terms of how you could talk about what was going on, how you could explain to the viewer what was happening, because it's very, very difficult to explain in real terms, for example, what a sprint train is supposed to be. That's right. And, And why a sprint train works, why Mark Cavendish is behind three of his teammates you know, how that works. And suddenly you're explaining how many jowls the first guy is burning and people are starting to get it. Oh, and, and, yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. I, yeah, I think cycling is is really a, a great, you know, analog for for the power of data in sport um, for all the reasons, you know, that, that, that we just talked about. So, you know, that's what really gets us excited. Um, you know, Tagboard is the first company that, you know, we've invested in from the technology perspective, you know, in the sports segment. It absolutely will not be the last uh, for all of the reasons that, that we just chatted and about
0: and so more generally um you know certainly here in the UK uh there's been uh, uh there's been an interest rate shakeup um you know founders uh, founders across the board are saying that it's much more difficult to come across cash or it's much more difficult to come across cash uh, you know and liquidity at the type of pricing that they're interested in having and you know there's there's arguments about valuations and i've been part of conversations recently where people are just looking at something that's you know 2021 number. You know, you need to you need to rethink this. How is the market? How are you seeing the market? Is it putting you guys in a in a in a better position? Have you found Have you found founders to be um, uh, 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 despondent is the wrong word, but have you found them to be um, uh, to, to, to be losing um, enthusiasm as a result of kind of being ground down by the pressure and the and the difficulties over the past few past few months and years. What's the general flavor?
1: So, uh, you know, that's a great question. I think I think very timely. Um, you know, the, I'd say the broader innovation economy, you know, we're in the midst of what I'll call a relearning. Uh, I've actually called this in one of my uh, blog posts, the kind of the great reset. And what I mean by that is, look, you know, the macro climate has put a lot of pressure on LPs and how they allocate capital to investor managers like me. Um, obviously, the interest rate, now you got, you know, bank collapses, et cetera you know, that's focusing both funds and companies got kind of to rethink kind of what their definition of success is and and what that path to reach it, right? Um, your point about, your know, 2020 2021 is spot on. I mean, when you think about everything that led up to that particular point in time, it was all really a driven by vanity metrics. It was like, okay, so what 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 kind of funky math can I come up with that's going to help me justify our higher valuation, right? I mean, I, I don't mean to be glib about that, but some of these metrics were kind of, you know, they literally were vanity metrics, right? They had no real correlation to what's ultimately going to be successful, for, you know, for the company, because it it became less and less about growing a great company and more and more about how much money can I actually raise from the VC community. And so this relearning is 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 really what I call getting back to first principles, operating and investing. From an operating perspective, CEOs are like, okay, I actually need to focus on, you know, What's my customer acquisition cost? How does that translate against my long-term value? What's that ratio? What's the payback for this expense, right? When am I going to start to see a path to where I can actually reasonably say, we are on the road to profitability? You know, what's my ratio of net capital burn to kind of what I'm bringing in, you know, as as a company? These are the things that are hugely important uh, to any business, right? We just simply have gotten forgotten or conveniently forgotten, rather, of the last past, you know, 15 years. So we're seeing a reversion back to that, which I'm really, really excited about because it means now that the investors can talk, you know, kind of eye to eye now with, with the founding CEO and the, and the management teams at the same time, look, it wasn't just, you know, the founders that, that were this problem. It was the VC community that kind of fed into this mindset as well. Um, you know, funds not doing really any any level of diligence, you know, seeing a slide deck meeting the team, you know, laying down a term sheet with a fat valuation. Um, those days now are largely behind us. At least, you know, they're getting behind us. And you're now starting to see, you know, investors take the time. There's, I mean, the time to term sheet now is clearly lengthening, uh, which I do not think is a bad thing necessarily. Uh, diligence is actually getting done. Uh, And there's actually more of a focus on governance because you've seen this whole fake it till you make it thing uh, really bite people in the backside. Uh, And I think we want to correct, you know, for the past five, maybe 10 years of this kind of, I think a little bit of silliness that I think everybody uh, across the board kind of got caught up in. So I view it as a good thing. I think to answer your question specifically, you know, we are seeing compaction, you know, on valuations. Uh, that's more prominent at the growth stage. Uh, we're not seeing it, you know, specifically for us on the tech fund. Uh, and there's two reasons for that. One, it hasn't quite translated down fully yet to the early stage, number one. Number two, you know, we are a regionally focused fund um, for, for the technology sector. So we invest in early stage companies in the Pacific Northwest, uh, which is largely considered to be the cloud capital of the world. You know, we have AWS, at Microsoft's Azure, Google's GCP. And the exhaust from an entrepreneur perspective is just massively robust. So um, this region has typically been known for kind of building really enduring companies, not getting caught up on the hype cycle. So we've never seen the massive explosion of pre-money values, right? Um, and I don't think you know we, we necessarily will. On the flip side, when companies out of the Valley in New York um, are looking for acquired growth, it's typically the Northwest they come to because they love that focus on profitability, lean teams, great tech, et cetera. So it's been a good place for us to be placing bets so we haven't seen that yet on the valuation side um, and i even think in the valley i mean you're seeing a little bit some people are kind of you know moaning a little bit but it's not as pronounced as the growth stage what we are seeing though um, is probably more structure at the term sheet level right there's like okay we're going to put in some performance metrics here maybe there's going to be a little participation on the preferred if you're not hitting certain growth growth metrics um, we're clearly going to take a board seat. you know we are going to get information rights things that you know, people were willing to kind of push aside and ultimately got bit in the backside when some of these companies failed and investors really had no visibility what was, what's going on. So I think that in the main, this reset is going to be good for everybody. I think that with this rationalization, now is probably the best time to be investing in startups because everybody's now focused on the right things. Valuations are on a more, much more reasonable level investors dollars are going to go further from an ownership perspective and if history's been any guide Yachty, it's times like these where the airbnbs the ubers the facebooks the Microsofts have really been you know built out of uh so I'm personally very very bullish right now uh for a number of reasons
0: um and where and, and geographically because I'm fascinated about this you know um uh, point that you brought up about uh, you know the Pacific Northwest and and being the cloud capital, but obviously companies out of the Valley kind of uh, uh, having potentially inflated valuations over the last few years. New York is obviously a big center. Texas, Austin has been has has, has been super up and coming uh, recently with a lot of them, and obviously you have all of the centers in uh, in Europe and Asia as well. Where geographically are you seeing a lot of that growth, and where do you think that's going to be captured with? The new, um, uh, the, the new transition now that sort of the bubble of Web 3.0 or the initial bubble of Web 3.0 has burst, and now we're going to start seeing the proper projects start to come out and develop and grow in the right way. So
1: are you asking, Yanni, uh, where do we see geographically these new centers of, of, of entrepreneurialism and growth, or is there, are you asking more about the sector side? Well, let's start geographically, and then we can go to sector okay okay i think the pandemic really showed us that you do not need to to live in you know cupertino san jose or those areas menlo park to 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 build a phenomenal startup right Uh, a dear friend of mine built three you know multi-hundred million startups out of atlanta georgia for example um and with this whole remote work piece um you know, the proliferation of the cloud and the tool sets that say Amazon and Azure and Google, you know, make available. You don't need to be in these in these huge centers. In fact, it's to your benefit not to be because look, you have these bigger companies just driving up the cost of, of you know, developers. I mean, it got so yeah. bad here in Seattle with Amazon, you know, grabbing people that startups couldn't afford devs here. I mean, because you're talking, you know, uh, a dev is making about two and a quarter, 250 base plus bonus plus equity. I mean, sometimes that was more than the CEO was making, and so it's hard to compete. And so you're finding people, you know, hiring devs in Detroit. You see them hiring yeah. devs, you know, not in Austin because Austin, you know, has become pretty expensive as well. But you know, stuff in like in Delaware, for example, or you know, even going offshore, you know, to, yeah. uh, to Budapest and, and and elsewhere. So I think I think the pandemic has shown that we're going to see probably new centers of excellence grow up, Park City. Seattle, um, you know, it's, it's always been a we've always been a startup community and hotspot. I mean, God, we're the home of Microsoft, uh, for gosh sakes. But that is really has come into its own, I would say, over the last decade. Um, we Man. have that flywheel effect going in full force. But Detroit is also another very very robust area. Um, you know, and you know, candidly speaking, you know, I, I could I could see us potentially down the road opening up a, another you know geographically focused fund in one of those other areas right Man. now. Boulder um, is another area, given you know CU Boulder and the and the and the technology infrastructure they have there. Plus, you've got the Foundry Group that's led by Brad Feld that do great things uh, to help startups get going. That's another center of excellence. Mm. So you're going to see these Just pop up very
0: quickly. Very quickly on that on that you know the impact of the pandemic and people moving out uh, from from your perspective as as an investor does that make deal flow? more hard, more difficult because there isn't a concentration. You know, people are, are are more disparate. So it makes it slightly more difficult to find things. Is it easier because everybody's relying on technology and therefore it's inbound, or is it roughly the same? Yeah, I'd say it's roughly the same. Look, if you're
1: a generalist VC out of the valley with no geographic, you know, constraint, kind of like the that we have for our tech fund, you're you're kind of doing that already, right? Um so yeah, probably more of your portfolio is going to find its way outside the valley, let's say. But you know, again, that's already part of your investment thesis. So I don't think really necessarily anything's changed. I think what's what's happening though is you're realizing that wow, these guys in Park City or these guys in Boulder are operating at you know a third less of the of the operational cost and hiring cost that my other portfolio companies here in the Valley are doing. So we love that. Um, because the burn will be lower, so I don't think it really changes anything, um, you know, for anybody. I think it opens up a lot more flexibility, and I think you're going to find much more capital-efficient companies as a result.
0: Fascinating. And then coming back to the sector, where do you see those kind of uh, opportunities and the growth uh, coming? I-, I know you mentioned data, but as it applies to the sports sports sector, particularly. How do you see kind of the the um, growth and the next technology unicorns coming uh, over the next few years?
1: Yeah, well, you know, with the advancement we've just seen, right, in artificial intelligence from GPT-3 to GPT-4, and it wouldn't shock me if GTP-5 or whatever, you know, number they place on it, you know, happens in the next, you know, month or two, you know, at an even quicker rate. Damn. We're kind of turning Moore's laws on its head a little bit. I think that's going to drive a whole host of different things, Across multiple verticals. I mean, I, you know, at the foundational level, I, th- I think the AI piece, the generative AI piece, is going to get largely commoditized by the Microsofts, Google, and, and Amazon's of the world. But those point solutions are going to grow fairly, fairly rapidly, and that's going to find its way into sports technology. It's going to find its way into life sciences. It's going to find itself into DeFi, etc. Um, now, where those, from a vertical perspective, where those settlers of excellence start to emerge. Um, I think it's I think it's to be determined right now. um mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think you know you can say you can point to say Park City, you know Utah and say yeah, that's that's the home of you know if you want to be in this industry, that's where you go or if you're Boulder or you know Detroit for example. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we've gotten to that point yet. I think you just have a bunch of smart people who have moved for a quality of life perspective that are doing some amazing things. um so that that's kind of how I see it playing out. but yeah. fintech. Um is gonna be a big one. Obviously, security. Um, no one's really talked about it yet, right? But digital security, attack surface management things, right? That's the big fear, right, for for both companies and and governments, right? Someone, yeah. you know, applies a, an artificial intelligence and can actually break the algorithms, it's a it's a different world at that point. That that that's where I think the Dang. real fear is. And so um it's we we've got a there's a lot of exciting
0: things happening. A lot of things I think we should need to be really, really well. And how do you guys stay on top of those developments? How do you look for new opportunities? How do you try to find the next um, uh, the next companies that are going to break into those spaces and, and deliver the next unicorns? We're pretty research driven.
1: Um, so you know we're constantly trying to, you know as much as we can, stay up to date, you know, on kind of the latest technology movements. We have meetings with different you know industry leaders finding out kind of where the puck's gonna go. Uh, we bring together different organizations, corporations, et cetera, trying to figure out, you know, what problems they're trying to solve. Uh, so we can keep an eye out for startups, uh, which which they certainly appreciate. And we like having those relationships as well. So it starts really there and having a very, very strong thesis and kind of knowing where you want to place capital and why. And then it's really just simply about, you know, going out there and meeting new, meeting new founders and just, you know, and working your network. Uh, you know, amongst you know the three primary partners here at West River Group, it's it's a pretty broad network that we have globally. Um, you know, I've Ooh. been in the Middle East, you know, three times in the last six months, um, both from you know uh, meeting new investors, um, but also meeting new new companies and startups as well um, who are looking to break out of the out of the GCC region, to expand you know into Europe and into the U.S. Um, clearly, we'd love to have them come to Seattle, and you know, for all the obvious reasons. And so, meeting those companies, and it's it's just God, it's exciting, Yanni. It reminds me of Silicon Valley in the nineties. Um, just just mm-hmm. the the amount um, of enthusiasm, the smarts, the public-private support for some of these companies. Uh, it really is uh something to
0: see. Um you can't go over there and not get excited. Yeah, it's very true. Do you ever miss being on the founding side? Uh and 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 being on uh on oh. the on the money side now? Um There are times where I'm like, God, I got this great idea. I should absolutely
1: go do this. Um, But, you know, uh, hey, look, at my age, you know, at this point, you know, I'm like, I'm I'm good where I am. And I guess to really answer that question, honestly, I think the thing that I like where I'm sitting right now is that I get to see so much more as an investor than I did as a founder. I mean, look, you are focused, right? Nothing exists about your company. Tunnel vision. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And you're, look, you're supposed to do that. But here I get to see so much. I get to learn so much every single day, right? I mean, that's just, you know, I love that. So I I, I,
0: I couldn't be happier where I am. Awesome. We're going to start wrapping this one up, but uh, all that remains for me is to thank our listeners for joining us. Please remember to go like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on social at SportsLoft HQ and go to our website, sportsloft.co to sign up for our newsletter. And a very, very big thank you to Anthony for joining us today. Anthony, it was fantastic to have you on the Sports Law podcast. I hope we can do this again soon. Thank you. Absolutely, Yanni. I really appreciate uh, having our chat today. Uh, Great to talk to your listeners and thanks again for having me on. Fantastic. Well, we're looking forward to the next one again soon and to our listeners, look forward to seeing you again soon. Sports Law. Thank you and goodbye.